Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, more Americans are carrying outstanding balances on their credit cards, even as the cost of servicing that debt is greater than ever. What consumers need to know that we aren't paying enough attention to. Also this morning, despite CDC restrictions on the importation of primates, more than 100,000 research monkeys have been brought into the U.S. since 2020. A practice PETA says could actually be a source of disease spread in this country. We'll take a closer look. Findlay head coach Jim Rookie previews the Trojans matchup with Lima Sr. And a collection of recipes that are perfect to warm you up on a cold winter's evening from Kyra's Kitchen. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Friday, January 13th, 2023. What does this say about 2023 that we get a Friday the 13th right out of the gate? (laughs) We have Friday that is Friday the very first month of the year. We have a Friday the 13th. And you know when the other one is in 2023? There are two of them this year, October. (laughs) So right before Halloween, we get another Friday the 13th. Um, Not sure if that bodes well for... 2023. I'm already not liking this. I don't know. Anyway, uh, maybe Friday the 13th will be lucky for you. A couple of big uh, lottery jackpots up for grabs in the uh, coming days. Uh, tonight, the Mega Millions will be worth $1.35 billion, making it uh, one of the largest of all time. It was kind of interesting on the Today in History calendar. Uh, I saw that it was on this day in 2016 that, at the time, the biggest Powerball jackpot in U.S. history topped $1.5 billion uh, on this day, and three winning tickets were sold for that drawing. So, maybe history will repeat itself, and maybe it will be you. So, By the way, the Powerball jackpot also at a cool $404 million. I'd take that. Uh, that drawing will be held tomorrow night. So, hey, I, I'm not picky. I'll take, I'll take either one. So, uh, let's see here. Uh, a couple of follow-ups to uh, stories that we had uh, earlier this week. Um, no gas stoves are not being banned in the U.S. Uh, you remember the headline a few days ago that uh, gas stoves, a consumer safety official, uh, caused an uproar by suggesting in an interview that maybe uh, because of concerns over the health hazards of gas stoves that a ban might be an option, uh, that everything was on the table, they were saying, uh, with respect to uh, gas uh, stoves. Well, now the uh, this, of course, led to furious denun- uh, denunciations, is that the right word, uh, of uh, Green New Deal fanatics, right? Uh, people went, there's the Green New Deal, people are going nuts here. Um, and no, that's uh, apparently not the case. The White House uh, was quick to say that President Biden does not support the idea of banning gas stoves. And consumer safety officials, the CPSC, um, echoed that. They say there is no plan, there's no idea, there's no thought to banning gas stoves. Not 
going to happen. Uh, now, that said, there may be more regulations on the horizon and more incentives to get people to switch. And in fact, there are some incentives that already exist to try and get people to uh, switch away from gas stoves. Uh, and by the way, it is true that uh, gas stoves in the home are associated with a number of health concerns. Nitrogen dioxide levels are between 50 and 400 percent higher in homes with gas cook stoves compared to those with electric stoves. And that is true. That is an accurate uh, number. Gas stoves have also been linked to asthma, higher asthma rates in children in homes with uh, gas stoves. So that is true. Uh, and if you are looking to remodel your kitchen, there are federal incentives provided by the Inflation Reduction Act that would allow consumers to receive an 840 rebate, uh, $840 rebate if uh, they switch from gas to electric. So, but that has more to do with, it's not the health issues, it's more moving away from fossil fuels of all kinds to renewable uh, fuels and, and going electric. So, uh, no ban, but yes, there are some incentives out there if you want to switch. Just a follow-up there. Uh, a couple of other rides. Oh, one other follow-up from uh, earlier this week. Um, you remember the uh, software glitch? Apparently, the software glitch or computer crash that led to the huge brouhaha, the huge uh, mess with the airlines earlier this week. Uh, one of the notification pilot notification systems went down. And uh, we were talking about it on the uh, program yesterday. Um, this is kind of interesting. A story uh, from CNN. The FAA software that failed on Wednesday is, and we were, again, we were talking about this yesterday uh, and talking about the outdated technology that uh, the FAA relies on and how vulnerable is this, how reliable is this. The software that failed is, in fact, 30 years old. This was a government source speaking with CNN uh, said the software is in fact 30 years old and reportedly is not due for an upgrade for at least another six years. Um, CNN reporting that uh, Transportation Secretary uh, Pete Buttigieg now has met with top FAA officials a number of times since the mess on Wednesday and has made it very clear in their words that he wants that software updated a lot faster than that planned six-year timeline. So we'll see. But as of uh, right now, um, six years before that system is going to be updated, I would think that a computer meltdown that led to a complete ground stop, a complete halt of all air traffic, even for a few hours, that would kind of push that up the priority list a little bit, I would think. I would hope, uh, anyway, but I'm interesting. Again, we we're just talking about that and uh, theorizing that maybe that might have something to do with it. It appears that indeed is the case. This is a, a story that we could only report on on uh, Friday the 13th, I would think. Uh, new rep uh, report from the Pentagon says that there are, uh, appears to be, there are more UFOs out there lately. 
or maybe we're just imagining things. Reports of unidentified flying objects, or what the Pentagon calls unidentified aerial phenomena, are up. Uh, let's see here. It says already. I this is this is crazy. Is this possible? Is this this year already? It says the Pentagon reports that it has received more than three hundred fifty new reports of these unidentified aerial phenomena. 350 reports? Is that just this year alone? I mean, we're only three weeks into the year. Um, but apparently, we're we're seeing more things that we can't explain up in the sky. Actually, more than half of those reports have been explained, have been identified. Some are balloons, some are drones, some of them are uh, birds even, or just airborne debris of some kind. But about half have been identified. The rest are still unidentified at this point. So uh, the increase in the number of reports, they say, may be due to pressure from Congress for, I guess, sky watchers to keep a closer look and, and report what they see. Because apparently there are people whose job it is to watch for such things. And I guess that makes sense if we were... Uh, at risk of being invaded by aliens. And, you know, I don't know. Does that... Do aliens exist? I don't know. I get... You gotta, you gotta account for that possibility if you're the government, right? That there may be aliens, they may have evil intentions. I know this sounds very sci-fi, but I guess there are people whose job it is to watch for this, and Congress has ordered them to keep a closer eye on the sky. Most of the reports have uh, come from uh, pilots... Uh, who are on the alert for airborne oddities. So, kind of interesting. Number of UFO reports are up. Perfect story for Friday the 13th. And what about this? Uh, the American birth rate has reached record lows. According to the latest data, uh, and the numbers are actually a year behind, so we're getting data from the end of 2021 now is the latest data that's available. But it's available now. And it says the American birth rate has reached record lows, even though the number of kids that Americans want has remained the same. Uh, it says here, after the baby bust of the 1970s, birth rates in the United States have remained relatively stable. It rebounded after the 1970s. It kind of dipped down, and then they rebounded. They remained stable. But starting in 2007 birth rates began to decline, and they have kept falling, dropping more than 20% by 2021. Recent study published, um, uh, let's see here, uh, these researchers Sarah Hayford and Karen Benjamin Guzzo, this, uh, their study suggests that the cost of raising children, intense parenting standards, and uncertainty about the future are the biggest contributing factors to the drop in uh, birth rate in the U.S. Uh, the right time to have a child or have another child may feel for a growing number of families increasingly out of reach, according to the study's authors. So, no reason for aliens to invade. We're dying out naturally, maybe. No, I don't know that we haven't reached that point where we're 
actually have a decreasing population, but interesting. Nonetheless, there you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Friday the 13th started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather, mostly cloudy today, a chance of a snow shower, a high of 32, decreasing clouds tonight, a low of 20. Man charged with killing a cashier at a Dollar Tree store in Upper Sandusky on New Year's Day was in court for his arraignment. Bethel Bekele has been indicted on six charges by a Wyandotte County grand jury. At his arraignment, he pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity to all six charges, which include two counts of aggravated murder, two counts of murder, one count of felonious assault, and one count of aggravated burglary. Upper Sandusky police say he entered the store with a machete and killed 22-year-old cashier Karis Rival. ONN's Clay Gordon reporting. Get more on the website. The University of Finley says it's two-thirds of the way to their goal of raising $75 million to foster scholarships and improve campus facilities, transforming the lives of students and investing in the future. U.S. says at the end of last year, gifts to the Together We Will campaign topped the $50 million mark. The campaign has secured several major gifts, most prominently a $6 million gift from Billy and Brenda Watterson. Get more on the Together We Will campaign on our website. Ohio's Democrat U.S. Senator is weighing in on the news that President Biden apparently had classified documents in his possession. Senator Sherrod Brown says he believes Biden's situation is different than that of former President Donald Trump, who delayed and attempted to block the return of documents. I think the president needs to come forward and say what happened. I mean, to make the comparison with the former president hiding documents and taking them to a faraway location, obviously, is not similar, but all presidents should have to be held to a high standard. Brown said perhaps there should be more oversight of classified documents. Dave James, I went in news. Before We Were Pirates, the story of Bluffton sports teams before 1929 is the topic of a presentation being put on by Bluffton historian Fred Steiner. The presentation includes stories about Bluffton teams as early as 1893 and photos of both girls and boys athletic teams as early as 1900. He says stories about the teams and their fans demonstrate the community pride was just as important 125 plus years ago as it is today. Get more on that upcoming presentation on our website. I'm Matt Demchek for 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Well, you know, we mentioned earlier in the week the report that total household debt increased by about 8% last year. Perhaps not coincidentally, that pretty much mirrors the increase in the cost of living we saw in 2022. Bankrate senior industry analyst Ted Rossman joins us this morning. And Ted, one number that really jumped out uh, at me in your latest analysis of credit card debt is that more of us are carrying balances month to month on our cards, which is worrisome, but probably not all that surprising, I would guess. I agree. Yeah, we found that 46% of credit card holders are carrying debt from month to month. That's up from 39% a year ago. You're absolutely right. Inflation is a big part of this. Higher rates are part of the story as well. Right now, we see 19.85% is the average credit card rate. That's Mm. the highest since we started tracking in 1985. Wow. And also balances are up. The New York Fed says balances on credit cards are 15% higher than a year ago. So you put it all together and yeah, it's a tricky combination. Are we just spending too much or do you believe that this comes from people needing to use their credit to meet their monthly expenses as the cost 
cost of living goes up. I mean, either scenario obviously carries its own concerns. When people are in credit card debt, our research shows it's usually something practical. It's usually either an emergency expense, some kind of unexpected medical bill or home repair or car repair, or it's just day-to-day living, basically more expenses than money coming in. Mm. I think that's been especially relevant the past year with inflation so high. Um, so that's what makes it especially difficult. It's not like most people are going crazy with online shopping or vacations. Or yeah. you know, Usually when you have credit card debt, it's something pretty practical. Um, I think a good fix would be to get a 0% balance transfer card move that high-cost debt over to a new card with that 0% promo, those last as long as 21 months. And yeah, that that's I thought was kind of interesting too, uh, the number of people who either weren't aware that those uh, options exist or are not familiar with them. Um, and as you mentioned, uh, interest rates going up, your data also shows that nearly as many Uh, as are carrying balances month to month are not aware of or not concerned with the rate they are paying on those balances. So here again, a bit of an area of concern. Exactly. Yep. 37% don't know that balance transfer cards exist. So that's a great tactic for debt payoff. 43% with credit card debt don't know their interest rate. And I know it's not the most fun or comfortable topic to discuss or think about, but It's really important. With the average rate approaching 20%, I think you really just need to be honest about, hey, this is where I stand. There are some things you can do like a 0% balance transfer or maybe a low rate personal loan as a form of debt consolidation, or you could work with a nonprofit credit counseling agency. You could take on a side hustle. I mean, there's a lot you can do, but I wouldn't hide from the problem. Your credit card debt definitely needs your attention. You also asked about the perks that many cards use to attract consumers and persuade them to use their cards. Far and away, the number one feature among consumers is cash back, more than three times higher than low interest rates and five times higher than low fees. I mean, cash back is great, but are we placing too much emphasis on that? If you have debt, then yes. It brings to mind that saying that credit cards are like power tools. They could be really useful or they could be dangerous. In the case of credit cards, the big fork in the road is whether or not you carry a balance. And it's roughly half and half. So if you're in the half that's paying in full and avoiding interest, yeah, cash back is great. So are travel rewards and other rewards and buyer protections. Mm-hmm. But if you're paying 20% in interest, don't get 2% in cash back or airline miles. That's where you need to focus on knocking out the debt, lowering the rate, and then focus on rewards later on. So you look at some of these numbers. What jumps out at you that we should be paying more attention to than we are when it comes to managing our credit card use? And you mentioned a couple of things, but is there anything else that you can point to when it comes to better controlling our debt so that we don't get to the point where it's controlling us? I think that an underrated, perhaps very simple strategy is if you have credit card debt, don't dig the hole any deeper. Yeah. You know, maybe use a debit card or use cash. It's kind of a behavioral twist. I mean, I know that 
you don't want to be in credit card debt. I mean, a lot of people are using on cards to get by and, and that may be a difficult situation. And I empathize with that. Um, but I, I also would underscore just how many strategies there are that can help you. You know, one we haven't gone too deep on is nonprofit credit counseling. Mm-hmm. There are great agencies like Money Management International that can negotiate something like a 6% payback plan over four or five years and walk you through the process. Now, they typically make you close the cards. It's a little bit of a tough love approach, but I agree with it. I mean, I think that... Um, as I said, just don't dig the hole any deeper. Credit card debt is easy to get into. It's hard to get out of. There are things you can do to help, but especially now, I mean, credit card rates were not a picnic previously. They right. were about 16% at the start of last year, but right now a record high approaching 20%. Some people are paying closer to 30. I mean, these rates are so high, they need to be a priority. Right. And uh, given the forecasts that we could be in for more rough waters economically uh, in 2023, now is the time to get a handle on this because, again, it can get out of control pretty fast if you uh, are not paying the appropriate amount of attention to it. That's right. And I know it's easier said than done, but to the extent that you can pay off debt, boost savings, I mean, that's going to serve you well in any climate, but especially with recession worries. We're coming up on tax refund season. You know, I think that's there another go. good opportunity. Yeah. If you get a couple thousand bucks back from the IRS, you know, a great use of that money is to pay down high cost credit card debt and boost your savings. Maybe you do some of both. You know, maybe you dedicate half the money more or less to debt payoff and half to savings, maybe you carve out a little fun money. Um, but something like that, that's a big windfall that a lot of people are about to get. Yeah, and even if you can't entirely pay off a credit card uh, or pay off your debt with, uh, say, a tax refund or uh, some type of windfall, just to pay it down so that the cost of servicing what remains is much less uh, can be beneficial and can put you on the right path. For sure. Definitely avoid that minimum payment trap. The typical minimum payment is just 1% of the balance plus interest. And that's what keeps people in debt forever and ever. Yeah. If you have the average credit card debt, which is about $5,500, at the average rate, if you make minimum payments, you'll be in debt for 17 years and you'll pay $7,500 just in interest. You need to pay way more than the minimum. Pay yeah. it all if you can, but if you can't, focus on some of these interest rate reduction strategies so that it's not taking as big of a bite. All good advice. Again, Bankrate Senior Industry Analyst Ted Rossman with us this morning. We've got the link up to all of the uh, facts and figures that we were referencing if you want to take a closer look at our webpage. Ted, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. Well, during the course of the COVID-19 pandemic, nearly 100,000 monkeys from Asia, Africa, and South America have been imported into the United States. And despite the fact that they are held in quarantine upon arrival, PETA is sounding the alarm about the possibility of these primates being a source of disease spread. The risk posed by the international monkey trade is one of the reasons why the CDC banned the importation of primates as pets all the way back in 1975, and yet importation for medical experiments has continued. Dr. Lisa Jones-Engel is Senior Science Advisor on Primate Experimentation for People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, and obviously this is a practice that you oppose to begin with, so let me just ask very 
straightforwardly, and uh, my apologies for being blunt, but how serious is this risk of disease spread really, or are you sort of stoking that fear as a means to an end to stop the importation of primates altogether? So you began by saying in 75, the CDC actually shut the door on pet primates. And they shut that door, and this, this is their own words, to protect U.S. residents from severe infections that can spread from monkeys to humans, end quote. Since 1975, more than a million monkeys have arrived via the, the primate experimentation uh, loophole into the U.S. And these animals have come in with everything from Ebola-like viruses, monkeypox, deadly diarrheal viruses, tuberculosis, malaria, herpes B, Yersinia, Campylobacter, Shigella. And actually, Peter just received some documents via Freedom of Information request from the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, outlining um, what during the pandemic, these 100,000 monkeys actually arrived with when they came into, these country, into this country. And the number of animals that, that were dead on arrival the number of animals that died during quarantine, and then the number of animals who actually um, left the CDC-required quarantine and went out to other facilities around the country, and then the scientific community is now speaking out and saying, huh, this CDC-approved quarantine is supposed to catch all these nasty bugs, supposed to make sure that, you know, these animals are going into these labs healthy, vigorous, free of infections. But actually, whether it's weeks, days, months, or years later, what we're seeing is that in these third-party users, the end users for these animals, mm. are monkeys who remain infected with tuberculosis, who have hemorrhagic diarrhea, who have herpes B, who have the Yersinia and the, the Shigella. It's not working. The, the safety buffers have either intentionally been removed or are so porous because this is such a major billion-dollar monkey industry that people are just not looking. Now, to clarify, is there evidence that there have been that there has been disease spread in humans that you can trace back to this uh, to this monkey trade in the disease spread in humans in this country that you can trace back to these cases of infected monkeys? Absolutely, and actually. Again, so actually during the pandemic, scientists, global scientists were looking at the international wildlife trade in macaques, and they determined that this trade with macaques, which is the, the species of monkey, which is the monkey to be used in the laboratory, represents the greatest potential for zoonotic disease spillover. And so certainly we've seen it in the laboratories. We've seen husbandry workers and veterinarians um, get infected with, with TB or these, these viral pathogens or these respiratory pathogens. We see monkeys landing in this country who are basically have the malarial parasites circulating in their blood. And when you drop 10,000 of these animals in a place like Florida, which has very competent mosquito vectors that are capable of feeding on these monkeys, picking up these parasites, and then going over and feeding on a human, that is the reality of the monkey importation industry. It is rife with, with greed, unspeakable cruelty, it's violent, it's deadly, and it represents a significant public health risk. And it is actually the number one cause for this particular species of macaque being pushed to the edge of extinction. Think about that. 
This industry, which the U.S. imports the most monkeys for, has pushed an entire species of mammal to the brink of extinction. Now, the argument in support of this practice is that it is necessary for the advancement of medical science, but you actually take issue with that argument as well. It's the NIH itself, the National Institutes itself, which has acknowledged that 90 to 95% of the time, what has worked in an animal model fails in humans. And that's not to mention how many drugs are left sitting on the, the shelf because they actually they didn't work out in non-human animals. So the scientists, they, they justify inducing these extreme harms to primates with the promise of delivering reliable information that'll lead to new treatments and cures. How many times in the last 40 years have you seen a headline saying, new promising HIV vaccine on its way, new malaria vaccine, new tuberculosis vaccine? That doesn't happen. And in fact, five HIV vaccines developed proved safe in, in the CACs, went to human clinical trials, all five failed. And in fact, one of those vaccines, which worked in monkeys, actually increased the risk of humans developing HIV. It doesn't work. And it doesn't work because of the well-documented immunological, neurological, genetic, gene expression differences between humans and primates. Everyone knows it doesn't work but there is so much money involved in this industry. Well, that's that was going to be my next question. So if it doesn't work, if, there, if it is not necessary for the advancement of medical science, as proponents argue, and if this is so uh, widely known in medical circles, why is it allowed to continue? Because it's operating in secrecy for so long. And that's actually, so last week, the Department of Justice blew the lid off of this. You know, they, together with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife, basically had a five-year investigation, and that resulted in the indictment of eight Cambodian nationals and two unindicted co-conspirators identified as U.S. primate importers located in Florida, which is the worldwide primate, likely, and another one in Alice, Texas, which is likely a notive. And these, these U.S.-based companies were conspiring in the alleged illegal importation of wild long-tail macaques since 2017. And this is the tip of the iceberg. These Cambodian forests have actually been emptied of macaques. Tens of thousands have been stolen. They've been swallowed up. These monkeys never make their way back home. And it is ultimately the U.S. taxpayer who is paying for the destruction of the environment, the, the, the extinction, eventual potential extinction of these primates, the public health risks associated with the importation, and the failed science. But again, it's a massive industry and people haven't known about it. They just, people aren't even, most people don't even think that we still use monkeys in research, but we do. And certainly most people don't know that we are taking monkeys directly out of the wild, dropping them into cages and somehow expecting that that wild monkey is going to recapitulate a disease that we see in humans. That's just... So that's ridiculous. So, and it has continued to fail. So what are you calling on people to do? I know obviously this has been an area of action for the people for the ethical treatment of animals for a number of years. What are you calling for now? So listeners can go to peter.org forward slash stop monkey imports. Take a look at the information. Take a look at the documents. Take a look at the videos. Warning, those videos are hard to watch. Um, and then with a couple of clicks, 
you can send an email to the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, which is the authority that regulates the importation of primates. And you can ask the CDC to basically shut the door on this monkey abduction pipeline. Again, our thanks to Dr. Lisa Jones-Engel, Senior Science Advisor for People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, PETA. You get a link up on our webpage at goodmornings.net. It is another high school basketball weekend, and the Trojans tonight will play their fifth game in 11 days. Wow, that is that's quite a stretch, and this is no gimme by any stretch. Heading down to Lima Senior tonight, Finley head coach Jim Rookie spoke with John Marshall on this week's Coach's Corner about tonight's matchup with the Spartans. Last Friday night, a rivalry game with Fremont Ross. It seemed a good shooting night. Yeah, we shot well. We defended really well. I thought our guys, Luke uh, Weirau, did a great job on their their top score, but we had a lot of help. Uh, You know, we we really focused on not allowing him to to get to the into the lane and uh, that takes, you know, help defense, not just good on-ball defense, but I uh, thought we did a really, really good job with that and uh, frustrated them a little bit. And then we shot well on the offensive end and got rolling and, uh, you know, just kept playing well from there. Then Saturday night you went to Ottawa-Glandorf. You had a pretty good start, leading 11-9 after one quarter, 15-14 early in the second before OG went on a 9-0 run reaching the half with a 25-21 advantage over your team. What was the difference during that drought? Was it shot selection, turnovers, or was it something that the Titans changed on their defensive scheme? Well, we just had a couple little minute-and-a-half spurts in that game where we didn't play very well, didn't shoot the ball well, uh, had a couple turnovers. Uh, same thing, you know, in the third quarter, they, they won up uh, 8 or 10, I think. Uh, we just had a had a bad minute or two spurt there, and then we came back. You know, we were able to come back and take the lead. We were in, you know, up by four, I think, uh, early in the fourth quarter, and then again, just a, they had a quick uh, maybe eight nothing run or something like that, and you know, we made a couple mistakes that a good team takes advantage of. Everyone who swapped out playing defense on the Titans, Colin White did a really nice job. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, I thought we did a very good job defending him. Uh, Luke, again, guarded him most of the time. Uh, we were really focused on him. We were focused on Theo Mag, their big guy. Ryan Montgomery guarded him a lot and did a really nice job. So last night you were back at it again. A nice conference win over St. Francis. A 68-41 win puts you in a tie for first in the track. Yeah, I thought we played very well last night. You know, We bounced back from that loss and uh, came out to play. We we felt we had to play with some aggressiveness and not not allow them to to be comfortable. We thought if we could do that, we liked our chances, and then throw on top of that, have a really good shooting night, and things went really well. This Friday night, you play your fifth game in 11 days when you travel to Lima Senior. What can we expect from them on Friday night? Well, they have a nice team. You know, they they beat Fremont by 30 some last night. They beat Mansfield Senior by 30 some earlier in the year. They beat Clay by 40 or 50. I don't know. 
you know, they have a couple sophomores that have Division One offers already, six seven and six five. They've got the best overall length uh, in the league. Um, they're going to play hard, get after it defensively, and we're going to need to hopefully defend the way we have and and uh, take care of the ball, rebound. Our defensive rebounding is going to be big, and hopefully we'll have a good shooting night. Jim Rookie, head coach of the Finley Trojans, good luck against Lima. Thank you, John. Again, uh, Jim Rookie with uh, John Marshall from the Coach's Corner earlier this week. Trojans at Lima Senior tonight, 7.15 or thereabouts, airtime right here on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com, and 95.5 FM. Other action from around the area on our family of stations over on 100.5 WKXA tonight. BVC action as Van Buren travels to Riverdale. And on 106.3 The Fox, it's Ottawa Glendorf titan basketball the titans will host bath tonight and then they travel to lima senior tomorrow evening and you can hear those games on 106.3 the fox follow all of the action around the area on the wfin scoreboard page powered by ScoreStream and presented by owens community college we have the link up at goodmornings.net We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. We already have a candidate for the dumb criminal of the year. I mean, we're not even three weeks into the new year and already a candidate for dumb criminal of the year. It's a Florida woman who was arrested after returning to the local Walmart in Palm Harbor to retrieve a bag that she left in the store with fentanyl inside of it. Karen Broadmerkel uh, can allegedly be seen on video dropping a Paw Patrol bag in the pet food aisle. She later <laughs> she later called the store saying that she was coming back to retrieve her bag. Uh, but here's the thing. They had already found it. Uh, they had already found the bag and trying to find out who it belonged to they opened it up when lo and behold (laughs) it contained all kinds of drug paraphernalia the sheriff's office was called to inspect the abandoned property and deputies say the container allegedly contained plastic bags with a powdery substance razor blades lighters scissors a glass pipe and aluminum foil among other items the substance tested positive for fentanyl and so Ms. Broadmerkel was arrested when she arrived at Walmart to retrieve her bag, which had been uh, taken possession of by authorities. Uh, she claims that the bag was not actually hers, and uh, she has been released on bond. So, <laughs> hey, uh, I'm going to come back and uh, pick up my bag full of drugs that I left at the store, if you could... Just hang on to that for me. That's <laughs> not too bright. Elsewhere in the broken news this morning. Now this uh, is, this would be embarrassing. Um, have you ever butt dialed someone? I think we've all done that. or We've certainly all gotten those calls before where somebody uh, calls us without realizing that they've done, you know, in this day and age of uh, cell phones and so on. Butt dialing is something rather common. Occasionally, it can lead to awkward situations. 
a man by the name of Elijah, and I don't have Elijah's last name because this story uh, was online. A man named Elijah was playing a video game when he butt-dialed, somehow butt-dialed 911. The game that he was playing is very important to the story. He was uh, playing the first-person shooter game Rainbow Six Siege or something like that. Anyway, so the operator answer, answers the 911 call, and it becomes obvious that the caller didn't realize that he had dialed 911. But the operator is listening, and Elijah can be heard saying that he had just killed two people. <laughs> so, talking, of course, about the video game, but the operator didn't know that. And so, <laughs> she dispatched officers to the home, fearing the worst, uh, the cops show up and uh, order <laughs> order Elijah out of the house and apparently placed him in handcuffs. Um, <laughs> uh, he then had a heck of a time trying to explain to police that he was actually playing a video game. The cops can be heard asking if everyone inside the home was okay, and apparently... Uh, they actually did a sweep of the home just to be sure. <laughs> Elijah's going, nobody's inside. It's just me. It's just a video game. A complete accident. I didn't mean to. Uh, according to Elijah's friend who posted about this on social media, he was pretty shaken up by the whole thing. I, I can imagine so. <laughs> but all's well that ends well. Uh, the uh, cops, after it, ascertaining that no one's life was actually in danger um, actually started uh, talking with Elijah about the video game because it turns out he's a fan too. So <laughs> all's well that ends well, <laughs> but some anxious moments for all involved. Uh, this from uh, Texas where now this is very odd, a strange collection is landing a former professor in jail. Now, I think we all probably know someone who has an odd collection. What do you collect? I and mean, people collect all sorts of things, some of them rather odd. People have said, I actually have a, a collection of license plates. I, I think license plates are kind of cool from all over the country and all over the world, and I think that's, that's kind of cool. I can't afford to buy all the cars the license plates are attached to, so I... Collect the uh, license plates. Anyway, that's my weird collection. Everybody has one, right? Richard Kazmaier, though, had a very unusual collection. Uh, importing the stuffed bodies of endangered or protective species. Taxidermied <laughs> bodies of endangered species. That's his collection. Problem is, it's illegal. Uh, prosecutors found hundreds at his home in the panhandle of Texas... Mr. Kazmaier uh, was a uh, former biology teacher at West Texas A&M, hence his interest in endangered species. A federal judge now has sentenced him to six months in prison and a $5,000 fine for violating the Lacey Act, which requires importers to declare wildlife to customs officials. He didn't, and now he's in trouble. <laughs> That is odd. That is, that is odd. But at least he wasn't importing live animals, so that would be even worse. 
Um, here's another uh, theft that I stealing from dead people is about as morally bankrupt as you can get. But that being said, you would think that it should be pretty easy to pull off, right? <laughs> you'd think that, but apparently you'd be wrong. Two would be thieves, uh, tried, uh, stealing from the Antioch, California municipal cemetery but uh, they were caught by some living, breathing police officers in the process. Uh, Antioch police report they apprehended two criminals who tried stealing a utility vehicle and gardening tools from the local cemetery. The cops picked up on the crime as it was going down because they noticed, noticed some suspicious activity. Uh, as in an SUV towing a trailer with the cemetery's utility, utility vehicle in it. That would probably raise some eyebrows, I would think. Um, Authorities investigated the SUV and confirmed the vehicle it was towing and some tools inside were indeed stolen property. Officers also discovered the perps had cut the locks off of the front gate to access uh, the uh, cemetery and the uh, maintenance worker's garage. The two suspects face theft-related charges and have been sent to jail. You'd think that would be easy to steal from the dead, but apparently not. And uh, finally this morning, uh, this story, and this has got to be the worst person in the world, the worst criminal in the world. A man by the name of uh, Troy Burke, 32 years old, uh, was arrested for stealing and smashing the bronze statue dedicated to the very first Make-A-Wish recipient. In Arizona, Uh, seven-year-old Christopher James uh, Grecius, who died of leukemia in 1980, a statue was erected in his honor in front of the Make-A-Wish headquarters building in Phoenix back in 2018. Mr. Burke reportedly captured on security camera, on security video, uh, wrapping a chain around the statue, uh, pulling it down, putting it in the back of his car. Um, he was working with an unidentified accomplice. Apparently, through the whole process of trying to steal the statue, it was completely destroyed. Um, the uh, uh, Christopher became the first Make-A-Wish recipient when he told the Arizona Department of Public Safety he wanted to become a police officer, and the department swore him in as the state's first honorary DPS officer, gave him a helicopter ride in uniform uh, just days before he passed away, and in his honor of launching the Make-A-Wish Foundation, his story launched the Make-A-Wish Foundation, they had a statue. Uh, His mom said the whole thing was uh, heartbreaking. That is, how low do you have to be? Left shaking my head. There you go. Uh, That is today's Broken News Report. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Take WFIN wherever you go with our updated mobile apps for iPhone and Android. And now you can listen to us on your Alexa device. Get the app at WFIN.com or in the App Store or Google Play. Plus, enable Alexa by searching for WFIN under Skills and you'll soon be saying, Alexa, play 1330 WFIN. And the best part is the apps and skills are absolutely free. On the air at 13 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM online at WFIN.com and on your smartphone, tablet and Alexa devices. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. Today is Friday the 13th. 
And you might be surprised at the number of people who actually believe that this is an unlucky day. I mean, for I think for most of us, we just kind of you know, lightheartedly talk about Friday the 13th, but we don't really buy into it. But a significant number of Americans actually do. Seven Between 17 and 21 million people in the U.S. have a fear of Friday the 13th. They believe that unlucky things can happen on this day just by virtue of the fact that it's Friday the 13th. And to that end, they won't go out, they won't do things, they won't travel, things like that, uh, on Friday the 13th out of the fear that something bad will happen. Now, statistically, there is no evidence of this. They've actually looked into it. And unlike, for example, the day after a time change, when we do know that there is a spike in accidents and even heart attacks on the day after the time change, there is no such correlation between unlucky events and happening on Friday the 13th. It's just, but despite that, I think a lot of people uh, say, why chance it, Right. Uh, For example, a recent survey by the Otis Elevator Company finds that 85% of high-rise buildings, office buildings, hotels, that kind of thing, 85% of high-rise buildings in this country skip the number 13 in numbering their floors. (laughs) They go right from 12 to 14. 85% of buildings. Uh, At many airports, you will... Have you ever noticed that there is no gate number 13? Um. Now, if you are willing to travel on Friday the 13th, according to the search engine Kayak, um, you can get some good deals because travelers generally don't like to travel on Friday the 13th. If you want to book a flight to Europe, for example, uh, internationally, prices are as much as 39% cheaper. Airline tickets are as much as 39% cheaper for international uh, flights uh, taking off on Friday the thir- on a Friday the thirteenth, thirty nine percent domestic flights can be as much as nineteen percent cheaper. Again, this is according to Kayak. Again, statistically, not any more likely that you will have an accident on this date, either in the air or terra firma. But uh, if you missed the chance for those January travel deals, if you are not put off by the idea of traveling on Friday the 13th, and you missed the opportunity in January. As we mentioned earlier, we have another Friday the 13th coming up later this year in October. So we were talking earlier this week about planning out your spring break and your summer travel. Well, if you're looking a little further out in October, you can travel on Friday the 13th and save yourself some money if you are willing to do so. But would you do so? (laughs) Especially in October with Halloween right around the... Hmm, I don't know. Once again, my wife Kyra has joined us in the studio with another collection of recipes to warm you up on a cold winter's evening. Yes. Uh, And these are, uh, this first one especially, we had this uh, earlier this week, and it was... Delicious. <laughs> Thank you. Now, that being said, this was one of those that what last Sunday I think you put in the uh, in the crock pot, 
uh, or Monday, and we were going to have it. Yeah, Monday, we were going to have yeah. it Monday night. Yeah. And then uh, something came up. We didn't yeah. do it Monday. We we're going to do it Tuesday night. Something came up, and we didn't do yeah. it Tuesday. And uh, so we actually ended up having it on on uh, Wednesday. Right. And I don't know if that made the chicken even more tender because yeah, yeah <laughs> it had I know been, it had been kind of marinating for yeah. three days. For three days. Um, yeah. But uh, so I, I, do that. <laughs> so you might you might try. So if you yeah. if you make this recipe and you think. Maybe it's not as good as as they were raving about. Well, you just haven't done it. Yeah, long. Let yeah. It, just wait a couple more days. Sit <laughs> enough. You need to do it. For three Don't let days. it mold. But just <laughs> yeah, not to that point. But you want to give it plenty of time yeah. because it uh, was absolutely delicious. It is a yeah. chicken noodle crock pot yes, soup. soup. Yes. Yeah. So two tablespoons of butter, uh, half a cup of chopped onions, one heaping teaspoon. Uh, tablespoon of minced garlic, uh, one teaspoon of Italian seasoning, salt and pepper to taste, three cups chicken broth, three cups water, uh, three uh, beef bouillon cubes, say Mm. that quick, (laughs) 12 ounces of frozen egg noodle, of your egg noodles, Um, or if you have homemade egg noodles, that's good too. Mm -hmm. So uh, melt your butter and add your onion Cook over medium-high heat for about five to seven minutes. Um, add your minced garlic and cook just a few more minutes just until the, you can smell that garlic. Mm-hmm. Um, then add the uh, prepared onion mix to your chicken breast, your broth, and your seasoning into a large crock pot. Uh, cook on low for six to eight hours or, or on high for three to four hours. Um, Let's sit for three days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then sh- keep on um, keep on warm. For yeah, three keep days. it on warm for three days. Oh, I don't know if I do that, but <laughs> but anyways, um, I just ended up putting mine in the fridge. In the fridge, and then we yeah. <laughs> covered it and put it back. But it was kept really it in the crock. That is yes. optional. <laughs> Yeah, what happens? So then um, shred your chicken with uh, two forks. um, Just got to pull it apart. Yeah, pull it apart. Yep. And then add your noodles and then cook for additional 20 minutes or until your noodles are tender. Now, when you say cook, uh, again, you're cooking in the crock pot. You're leaving it in the crock crock pot for another about 20 minutes uh, or so. To tender up those noodles. I would even go so far as to say that if you don't like chicken. Yeah. I mean, if you're not a chicken person, yeah. Uh, which I think there's something wrong with you if you're not a chicken person. But if you <laughs> so don't like people, chicken, right. you could even do this same recipe, leave out the chicken, and yeah. it is delicious. Yeah. I mean, the broth is to die for yeah. on this. It was so really good. Just a broth and noodles yeah. soup would yeah. be it would be yummy. So yeah. even without the chicken, or add, it, or if you like beef, do the beef. I don't know about beef. I yeah. don't know that I would like beef as much, much because you got this. the beef bouillon and right. and all that. It might be yeah. a little beef overload, yeah. but I guess you could try. Know. It. Yeah. Uh, if you're, so, yep. Try it and let me know. Yeah. There you go. But the <laughs> chicken noodle soup in the crock pot was absolutely delicious. Uh, you also have a recipe here for mozzarella meatloaf muffins. Yes. So I was going to try that this week also, but d- because didn't, with yeah. the adventure with the chicken noodle soup, yep, we <laughs> didn't get to that one. Okay. So uh, one pound ground beef, one egg, quarter cup of shredded mozzarella cheese, quarter cup of shredded Parmesan cheese, quarter cup of quick. Uh, cook oats, a quarter cup of ketchup, a half a tablespoon of dried minced onion, a half a tablespoon of dried basil, half a teaspoon of minced garlic, 
uh, half a teaspoon of mustard, one teaspoon of Worcestershire sauce, salt and pepper to taste. And then for your glaze, you're going to have a quarter cup of ketchup, one teaspoon of mustard, and one teaspoon of Worcestershire sauce. I can never say it. So (laughs) place all ingredients for the meatloaf into a large bowl using your hands. Mix all that till combined. Then spray um, six six section uh, muffin tin. Uh, with nonstick cooking spray, uh, scoop out enough mixture to fill the muffin t- muffin cup and repeat process until all six are filled. Then in a small bowl, uh, whisk together your um, glaze ingredients, combine that, spread that over top of your meatloaf, bake uncovered for about three at about 350 degrees for about 25 to 30 minutes, uh, then remove an remove it from the oven, let it um, sit for about maybe five minutes or so, let it cool slightly. And that also kind of helps that um, uh, stay together. So then when you firm up a little bit, so then when you uh, take them out of the uh, muffin tin, they don't uh, fall apart. That uh, sounds great. And I'm, I like meatloaf. So there you go. So we're still, that might be a recipe for this weekend. Mm. In the meantime, (laughs) if you try it, you can post on the Kyra's Kitchen Facebook page and, I'm excited to try it. And uh, for dessert, we have a chocolate peanut butter pie. Yes. So I made this for my sister for her birthday. I actually used uh, sugar-free because she's a diabetic. Um, This recipe um, is just the regular uh, pudding. But it's all the same? But it's all the same. Okay. It's just, be, it's just sugar-free or, or regular pudding. Okay. So, all right. So uh, one nine-inch pie crust baked and cooled, uh, one three, uh, 3.4 ounce box of instant chocolate pudding, and one 3.4 ounce box of uh, uh, instant cheesecake pudding. Okay. So, and then three cups of milk divided, two cups whipped cream divided, um, a half a cup of peanut butter and 10 mini uh, Reese cups chopped up. So in a medium bowl, uh, beat together uh, one and a half cups of milk and cheesecake pudding mix for about p- two minutes until it's thick. Then add the peanut butter and add one cup of whipped cream uh, or Cool Whip and mix until it's uh, combined. Then spoon that on the bottom of the shell, kind of spread it out a little bit until uh, it covers the bottom of the shell. Then in the same same bowl, you can uh, do one and a half cups of milk, uh, your chocolate pudding mix, um, do that until it's thick, add your whipped cream, mix until combined, then put that on top of the cheesecake layer, uh, spread to the edge of the pie shell, um, then sprinkle it with your Reese cups on top, cover and refrigerate at least one hour or overnight, and then enjoy. No bake. No bake. Very good. Except for the pie shell. Except for the pie shell. Yeah. All right. Uh, the chicken noodle crockpot soup, the mozzarella meatloaf muffins, which may have the best name of any recipe <laughs> so far this year. Mozzarella meatloaf, meatloaf muffins. Chocolate peanut butter pie. Those recipes are all posted on the Kyra's Kitchen Facebook page at Kyra's Kitchen WFIN. You can find them there. Uh, also linked up at goodmornings.net. And my wife, Kyra, thanks very much. You're welcome. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day at our webpage. Go to goodmornings.net. Coming up Monday on the program, the third Monday of January, 
is supposedly the most depressing day of the year. So we have advice for lifting your spirits if you're feeling it on Blue Monday. So until Monday morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day, a great weekend. Catch you back here next week.